developed market equities have long dominated global equity markets, but is that set to change in the coming decades? The big picture finding is that EM capital markets in particular are likely to rise very significantly. Not only is EM GDP rising, but actually their equity market capitalization ratios are also rising. So you get two bangs for your buck, as it were. I'm Alison Nathan, and this is Goldman Sachs Exchanges. In this episode, we're taking a look at the future of global capital markets and whether stock markets in emerging countries are poised to overtake those in the U.S. and other developed countries in the coming years. To discuss that and the potential investor opportunities that such a shift might provide, I'm sitting down with my colleague, Kevin Daly, co-head of the economics team covering Central and Eastern Europe, the Middle East, and Africa for Goldman Sachs Research. Kevin, welcome back to the program. Hey, Alison. Good to see you. Kevin, the last time you were on this podcast, which if I recall was early this year, you spoke about what the global economy could look like in 2075, and you've done a lot of work on the longer-term economic outlook. First, just catch us up on what are some of your key takeaways and what your analysis has shown. So there's four key themes that we emphasize. The first was that we expected global growth to slow over time to a little below 3%, driven by a slowdown in population growth. So population growth globally is, has fallen in the last 50 years from 2% per year to 1%. Over the next 50 years, it's projected to fall to basically zero. Now, that's a good problem to have in terms of lower population growth is necessary for climate sustainability but it also presents challenges in terms of pension sustainability and slow growth over time. The second theme was that although global growth has slowed, emerging market convergence remains very much intact. Larger EMs, in particular in Asia, continue to grow faster. That's something we project will continue over time. If you look in our projections through to 2050, we expect the world's five largest economies to be in this order, China, the US, India, Indonesia, and Germany. And then if you project it even further to 2075, we expect that seven of the world's top 10 economies will be current EM economies. Now, the third theme in our projections that is implicit in the second is that the decade of U.S. exceptionalism that we've had over the last 10 years, we expect that is not likely to persist. So although the U.S. did very well, both economically and from a financial markets perspective, it won't necessarily do as well over the next 10 to 20 years and going forward. And then the last major theme that we emphasize in the piece is that although globalization and this improvement in the um, GDP per capita levels over time has reduced global inequality, you have consistent with that seen an increase in local inequality. And that presents arguably one of the biggest challenges to globalization and global growth going forward. So before we dig into some of the key takeaways from your recent report, let's just take a step back for a moment. Kevin, you and I have both spent many years forecasting, and we know that trying to forecast even one or two years out can be challenging. So what really is the value of attempting to forecast so far in the future? Without a doubt, there's a lot of uncertainty in any forecast, certainly looking out for so many countries 50 years into the future. There is a lot of risk and uncertainty in any forecast of this type. One of the key advantages, though, that we have that in some sense makes longer term forecasts easier than short term forecasts is that cyclical uncertainty. So business cycle uncertainty tends to mean revert over time. And so GDP over the long term is determined then instead by slower moving changes in things like productivity and population growth. 
So what do we mean by that? It's probably best to illustrate it with an example. So for this year, the major factor, arguably the biggest uncertainty for driving U.S. and global capital markets has been whether the U.S. would face a recession. Jan Hatzius and our team has taken a relatively optimistic view on that. We believe that U.S. recession is less likely than most, and the recent data has been encouraging in that regard. But whether a recession happens or not this year or into next year, actually matters much less for where GDP in the US will be in 10 or 20 years time. So being able to look through that actually in some sense makes forecasting over longer horizons easier, not more difficult. So we get to ignore all the noise that leads to our forecast being wrong over the near term is basically what you're saying. (laughs) Is one way of putting it, yes. So you're now digging into how global capital markets could evolve over the longer term. How does that recent research build on your team's earlier findings? So what we do in the latest project to forecast equity market capitalization over time is to take our GDP forecasts and to take advantage of the link that exists between GDP per capita levels and equity market capitalization ratios. So basically, in countries that are richer, you tend to have a higher equity market capitalization ratio. And actually, that relationship has become stronger or more close over time. So within our projections, we project GDP per capita levels. We project GDP levels as well. We can then combine that to project forward future equity market capitalization ratios in U.S. dollar terms. What accounts for that relationship between equity market capitalization ratios and GDP per capita levels? And what accounts for the strengthening you just mentioned? So there's two reasons. One is that richer countries tend to have more equitized capital markets. So what does that mean? Is that a higher share of corporate assets tend to be quoted on local stock market exchanges. If you have the more sophisticated an economy becomes, the richer an economy becomes, the more sophisticated their capital markets. So you see a greater share of corporate assets being equitized. The second factor is that richer countries tend to trade on higher multiples than relatively low-income economies because they're perceived as being less risky than poorer economies. Now, quantitatively, we find that the first of these factors is more important than the second. So it's the equitization of capital markets that is the more important factor. So what does all of this suggest that global equity markets will look like in the coming decades? The big picture finding is that EM capital markets in particular are likely to rise very significantly. Because if you remember from our first paper is that we've already forecasting that the importance of EM GDP will rise over time. But now you have an additional factor, which is not only is EM GDP rising, but actually their equity market capitalization ratios are also rising. So you get two bangs for your buck, as it were. And so we expect within our projections that EM capital market ratios will rise pretty rapidly from low levels over time. Quantitatively, they currently account for around 27%, so a quarter of the world's total equity market capitalization. We project that by 2030, that will rise to 35% to 47% in 2050 and to 55%, so over half the global capital market capitalization by 2075. Now, implicit within that is a decline in DM and within that also the U.S. So we expect that the U.S. will decline from around 42% currently to 27% in 2050 and 22% in 2075. The biggest gainer we have and probably the most interesting finding is the rise of India in particular, which currently accounts for only about 2 to 3% of global equity. We expect that to rise to 8% in 2050 
and to 12% in 2075. China's an interesting one. We do have it rising from around 10% to 15% by 2050. But then because of China's worse demographic outlook than India, we expect that to begin to decline again, back to 13% by 2075. So if your expectation is that market caps in emerging markets is going to grow faster than in developed markets, does that mean that returns in those markets are also going to outperform? Actually, not necessarily, because to the extent that growth in emerging market capitalization, it comes from the equitization of corporate assets. Actually, that doesn't in itself imply an outperformance of returns. So if you're converting assets, businesses that were previously privately owned or family businesses, and you're converting those into quoted companies, that conversion in and of itself, which is the major driver within our forecast, doesn't imply that investors will necessarily get higher returns from investing in EM equities. However, there are other reasons to think that EM equities over the long term are likely to outperform. The first is more rapid growth, driving faster EM earnings growth over time. That's something that has been seen historically. And then the second is the fact that over time we expect EMs, their multiples to rise as they see GDP per capita growth, as they become perceived as being less risky. So there are reasons in the long term to expect that EMs will outperform. And so what is the takeaway then for investors? Should they be holding more emerging market equities and assets more broadly in their portfolios? Yeah, one of the key implications is the importance of having a globally diversified portfolio with EM within that over time. And the fact that the US has outperformed over the last 10 years is not a reason to think that it will necessarily outperform over the next 10 years. We've already seen a flavor of that this year with the weakening in the dollar on a trade weighted basis that has taken place. So the importance of global diversification, I think, is one of the key implications for investors. As we're talking, Kevin, it strikes me that one of the major risks here that could derail these long-term forecasts is policy. Countries may pursue different policies that end up with a different result. Is that a risk you're focused on or what other risks might you be focused on? I think you're absolutely right. Policy is the biggest risk to our equity market capitalization forecast. Capital market development requires openness to trade and capital flows. And so any policy that would reduce openness to trade and capital flows over time represents a major risk to our forecast. So any reversal of globalization, any policy becoming more inward looking over time, more protectionist over time, that is a major risk, the major risk to our forecasts. And are we seeing any evidence that we're moving in one direction or another across different types of countries? When we have looked at this issue to date, we have argued that there's been a stalling in the process of globalization rather than a reversal of globalization. But clearly, there is a risk. You can see examples across countries. The example of Brexit in the UK has reduced its openness to both trade and capital flows. The examples of trade tariffs that have been put up against countries in recent years, the increase in tariffs that have taken place in some countries, the process of de-risking global supply chains, if it is taken too far, could imply over time a reversal of globalization. These are developments that we're very closely focused on. But to date, we're taking a relatively optimistic view that it is stalling the process of globalization rather than reversing it. When it comes to China, I do think investors are frustrated 
at the speed at which they are opening up their capital markets. There was so much optimism a decade ago that there would be a big opening of capital markets in the country. And that seems to have stagnated. That is true. And how that develops over time will be an important factor to watch. But remember, within our forecasts, actually, the the major growth in equity capital markets over time, particularly within the M, does not come from China. It comes from countries like India. So actually, how China develops in this regard, I think, is an important factor to watch, but it's certainly not the only factor to watch. And how do you expect generative AI, of course, something we cannot get away from, to play into these risks? Because you've done so much work about how generative AI has boosted the potential productivity in many countries that are really leveraging it. You're right. We can't escape it. We think it's a big upside risk to both global growth, global capital markets. It's not one that we have formally incorporated within to our projections. So it represents a big upside risk to capital markets growth relative to the projections that we have. That said, our analysis suggests that it's a bigger potential boost for DM growth than it is for EM growth. And therefore, from a share perspective, actually, it represents more of a positive risk for DM capital markets than it does for EM capital markets. So any other key takeaways you want to share, Kevin? I think one of the interesting implications of this is for the growth of investment banking industry over time. Because as we talked about, a lot of the growth, most of the growth that we expect from emerging market equity capitalization, we expect to come from the equitization of corporate assets. That is something that will be a big driver of investment banking activity in emerging markets over time. Kevin, we've worked together for a long time and I always love having you on. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Alison. Thanks for listening to another episode of Goldman Sachs Exchanges, recorded on Tuesday, August 8th, 2023. If you enjoyed this show, we hope you follow on your platform of choice and tune in next week for another episode. Make sure to share and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you'd like to learn more, visit gs.com and sign up for Briefings, a weekly newsletter from Goldman Sachs about trends shaping markets, industries, and the global economy. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.